This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. I have got to preach the ideal, how the Christian should live, what he should be. i got to stretch the Christian, the believer. Secondly, I've got to preach the real, the reality of the Christian life. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined by James Dolezal and joined remotely by one of our favorite guests, Dr. Joel Beakey. He is a very prolific author, president and professor of systematic theology and homiletics at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, overseeing any number of very worthwhile efforts. Um, Dr. Beakey recently published Reformed Preaching. This is uh, something that Crossway put out, Reformed Preaching. And the subtitle of this book is Proclaiming God's Word from the Heart of the Preacher, to the heart of his people, and that's what we want to talk with him about today. Dr. Beakey, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. Dr. Beakey, what is distinctive about Reformed preaching? This is uh, the title of your book, and I've heard you talk about this and about how this was a volume you always wanted to see published, and then uh, never, no one else picked it up, and so you decided to pick it up. But what's distinctive about Reformed preaching in, in your estimation, and what was the sort of filter for choosing what to include in this book? Yes, well, Reformed preaching, of course, like all good preaching, is biblical, doctrinal, and practical. And in my homiletics one class here, we focus on those three aspects as we seek to help students in preparing sermons, delivering sermons, and and so on. But I have a second class in homiletics, which just focuses on this distinctive that we call experiential or experimental preaching. And that kind of preaching aims to to reach the heart of the listener, as well as the mind and the affections. So what the old divines used to say in 16th, 17th, 18th century Reformed preaching, not only in England and New England, but also in the Netherlands and Scotland and and Germany to an extent as well, is that the experiential element is is absolutely critical. And and one way I could, I, I, I try to define and get people to understand what I mean by experiential is to use an illustration. I, I, I was called up in, into the army I had a low lottery number. I was in the last year of the lottery. And so I signed up for the Army Reserves. And after I left, after six months, the day I left, my boss came up to me and said, well, if you get called back to fight in a war in the next six years, as you attend meetings and so on, remember three things. Remember, first of all, how the war should go. You've been trained as a soldier. You know how you should fight. So remember the ideal, the way it should go. Second, remember how wars do go. Wars are bloody, they're messy, they never go the way they should go. And third, remember your end goal, you're fighting for the government, you're fighting for United States of America, etc. And later on, I thought, you know, that's a, that's a good definition, a good paradigm for a ministry to use for experiential preaching. Number one, when I preach... I have got to preach the ideal, how the Christian should live, what he should be. I've got to stretch the Christian, the believer, beyond where he's at. I've got to 
I've got to preach to him Romans 8, all the beautiful things about the work of the Spirit, the, the no separation, the no condemnation. Uh, aim for the ideal. Secondly, I've got to preach the real, the reality of the Christian life. The reality is I don't reach the ideal this side of heaven. I'm struggling. I'm in a holy war. I'm in Romans 7. The good that I would, I find myself not doing. The evil that I would not do, I find myself doing. You've got to preach that as well. Now, if you only preach Romans 7, the experiential sense of my misery and my weakness and my frailty, then I'm going to leave people content with where they're at, and there's just going to be Christians that are grieving all the time that they haven't arrived. So I need to preach Romans 8. But if I only preach Romans 8, the believer who has any awareness of his own sinfulness is going to despair and say, I may not be a Christian at all. So I need both the balance of Romans 8 and Romans 7. And then I also need to preach the end goal. After all, heaven is our home. We're just renters here. We need to preach a lot more about heaven, I believe, than we do, about the future of God's people. So we're just temporary tent dwellers here, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're on our way to, to our long, eternal home of perfect union with Jesus, perfect marital bliss, you might say, with Jesus, where all good is walled in and all evil is walled out. And so these kinds of themes, this kind of paradigm, the preacher must use. He must preach Romans 8, Romans 7, and also Revelation 21, and reach the heart, reach the heart and the affections of the people of God in addition to the mind. So I want to be very clear. I'm not saying Reformed experiential preaching abandons in any way biblical, doctrinal, practical preaching. All those are included, but this is just the, the dimension of Reformed preaching that's most often forgotten today. And so I'm, I'm devoting the whole book to just this particular part of Reformed preaching, how to reach from the heart of the preacher to the hearts of God's people. No. The major way in which you do that in the book is by looking at particular preachers and particular sermons. Were there were there ones that you had to leave out? I mean, why are these particular ones included? Apart from the fact that they illustrate the thesis, um, are, are, were there were there certain things you were looking for? There's there's a range, obviously, of locations, a range of styles to some extent, a range of uh, um, eras that these men represent. So, so how did, how did that selection process work? Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. The book is divided into three parts. The first part is simply laboring to really get people to grasp what we mean by reformed experience appreciate the second part of the book, which is the major part as you referred to uses about two dozen examples. And then the third part of the book is saying, let's cross the bridge now. We can't preach exactly like these old forefathers did, but how do we preach experientially today? And that's where the rubber hits the road. Um, I chose I chose about 24 examples, I think, starting with Zwingli, the first Reformed preacher, all the way to Lloyd-Jones. And throughout, I look at Reformers, Puritans, the Dutch Divines, some Scottish, and then I select two or three people from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. Now, when it comes to the 16th through the 18th centuries, I mean, really, you could pick almost every single Reformed preacher, and they'd be a model for you. 
So I just picked those that related to me, um, that I've dealt with. Some of them are major figures like Kelvin and Perkins. Others are more minor figures. Um, I tried to capitalize on a few that really have a strong experiential element of preaching, really reach the heart well, like John Bunyan. And uh, I also try to show the Puritan preaching as a whole and Dutch for the Reformation preaching as a whole from an experiential perspective. So, yeah, there could be many, many more figures you could bring in here. In fact, when I lecture, I do bring in more, but I didn't want the book to get too long. So I, I kept it to a couple dozen. Dr. Beakey, when you think about ex experiential preaching in the context of pastoral ministry, what, what advice um, would you give for the pastor in terms of, um, in terms of understanding the human condition? Because I think sometimes it's, it's easy to sort of abstract the human condition uh, as fallen generally, but in terms of, in terms of applying uh, the scriptures uh, for the purpose of conviction or consolation to the congregation in front of them. What is what is the reform model of preaching in the context of a of a reform notion of the pastoral ministry as a whole? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you take experiential preaching as a whole, uh, say that's the trunk of the tree, the two fattest branches going out of that trunk would be applicatory preaching, your application, and discriminatory preaching, discriminating between the true believer and the unbeliever, not only, but also discriminating among believers, that's very seldom done today, between the babes in grace, the young men in grace, and the fathers in grace, as John puts it, and discriminating among the unbeliever between those who maybe have some impressions about the truth, but haven't yet surrendered to Christ, and those who are hardened. So there's different categories. Does all of that happen in a single sermon? Uh, so when you're, I, I think of the challenge of of discriminating against the whole, the, the big cross-section of the kinds of hearers, unbelievers and believers, and then as you say, uh, varieties of believers. Is that something that the Reformed tradition, is that a discrimination they make in, in a single sermon? Oh, no, not to all the categories. Of course not. But the, the basic rule of thumb, going back to that first question, is you take your text on every situation and you say, what does this text have to say to the hearts and the lives of the people that are sitting in front of me? So you've expounded it, you've exegeted it, you've explained what the text means. Now the question is, so what? How does this relate to the experience of my soul? How does it relate to my daily practical life? That's where you get your experiential slash practical applications from. So you don't go beyond your text. If, you're, if your text is Jeremiah 3 and you're preaching to backsliders, obviously your applications are going to be to backsliders, uh, that particular sermon. The typical sermon, you would probably preach, I don't know, 80% uh, spiritual applications would, would be directed to God's people. And maybe 20% to the unsaved, something like that. But it would vary from sermon to sermon. And then sometimes you wouldn't make any distinctions among believers or any distinctions among unbelievers. But I do think that what the Reformed preaching heritage is saying is that there must be words of application in every sermon for the godly 
and for those who are not yet believers. Today, too many Reformed preachers just assume that everyone in front of them is saved. That's a, that's a fatal mistake. Hmm. Uh, often they'll say something like this. You hear this in, in, in the preacher's prayers quite often. Lord, if there's anyone here today that may not be saved, and they think they're preaching to the unsaved, well, if you've got a congregation of 500 people, you think, well, I wonder who that one person might be who might not be saved. <laughs> it can't be me. You know, but hmm. the, the um, history of Reformed preaching is, yes, primarily to comfort and instruct and exhort and allure the children of God, but at the same time, there's a very real sense that the preacher is aware that he's speaking to a mixed multitude. There are children not only that are unsaved before him and teenagers, but also some of those who made full confession of faith uh, are hypocrites or really don't live out their faith and really have don't live much differently than an unconverted person. So you preach to the whole range of hearers flowing out of the particular text you have at hand for that particular sermon. Does a Reformed preacher preach evangelistically in his ordinary uh, Sunday sermon? Yes. Yes. And it will vary. It will vary. You know, as Calvin said, he didn't use the word evangelistic, but he just said gospel, explaining the gospel. Not only do the unsaved need to hear that, to hear the way of salvation, but the saved need to hear it again and again and again, because our hearts are prone to go back to an old broken covenant of works and think we can accomplish something. And again and again, we need to hear that salvation is only in Christ. And so preaching evangelistically in Calvin's approach includes preaching to God's people as well, not just reaching the lost. Dr. Beakey, thank you, as always, for your time. To our listeners, the book, again, is Reformed Preaching, Proclaiming God's Word from the Heart of the Preacher to the Heart of His People. And thanks so much for your time today, Joel. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go. As always, I would remind you that we are dependent on the generosity of listeners like you. And so, if you're able to donate, whatever capacity you're able to donate, if you're able to donate, you can do that at AllianceNet.org or at PlaceForTruth.org. Both of those websites have a button to donate. And also, just for listening today, we'd like to offer you the chance to win a copy of Reformed Preaching, Proclaiming God's Word from the Heart of the Preacher to the Heart of His People by Dr. Joel Beakey. And this, uh, he didn't bring this out in the interview, but uh, Dr. Beakey said to me, a few months ago, that this was a book that he always wanted to see published and found he had to do it himself, but he always wanted to see this out there. And it is, in fact, very worthwhile. So if you'd like to have the opportunity to win that, you can go to placefortruth.org, go to the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be an opportunity for you to enter to win. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go. Please recommend us to your friends, send us feedback, ideas, thoughts. We appreciate you joining us for this brief interview about an eternal truth.